So, Father, we pray, Lord, tonight, just over the word. Lord, I pray by the awesome power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, everybody will give you their best ear and their full attention, their focus. That, Holy Spirit, you would just captivate us tonight, captivate our minds, help us to zero in on what you're speaking. Lord, I ask you that that's really important, that there wouldn't be, people wouldn't be distracted, but the presence and power of the Holy Spirit would be so strong, the anointing so strong that people are locked in and really have eyes to see and ears to hear and get everything out of the word that, that needs to be spoken tonight into their life. And Lord, I pray that you would give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and speak your words of life out of my mouth as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and families and ministries. And those seeds of truth be watered by the Holy Spirit tonight. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Lord, I'm asking you that your word go out as a hammer that breaks down the strongholds, a sword that cuts away what needs to go. Let it go out as light shining and dispel all the darkness, the lies, the, the tactics of the evil one. Things that the enemy is trying to slither in people's lives in different ways. Let it, let it totally be exposed. Let your light shine and dispel all that deception, all those, those lies of the enemy, and bring truth and revelation. We thank you, Lord, for the awesome power of your word. Where will we be today without your word? We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for it now. We believe, Lord, as we pray together, it is done. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to finish my series on the last day revival. And we were going there with that picture of the was it in Matthew 25 about the wise virgins with extra oil? Those are the type of lamps that they used back in those times. And that's what I believe the Lord is speaking to us today is that we be wise virgins with extra oil. Okay. Anyway, let me go ahead and jump into this because it's going to be a little bit different tonight. Acts 3.19. I know I don't have any notes. So just listen tonight if you want to take some notes or whatever. But Acts 3.19. Peter was preaching. He said, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So let me read that again. This is the closest thing in the New Testament we see to revival. In the Old Testament, you see a lot of, you see words and phrases about revival, but actually in the New Testament, you don't see a lot of reference to revival because we're not supposed to need revival. We're supposed to be living in the fullness of what Jesus paid for us to have all the time. There shouldn't be backsliding. But anyway, repent and turn to God. So there's repentance. Your sins being wiped away so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that is a key to revival right there. All right. <clears throat> We've talked about in this series, a true move of God will bring lasting biblical fruit. And here's some things I've dealt with throughout this series. Number one, deep intercession deep calling unto deep that is what brings revival deep intercession see there's a difference there's some wonderful prayer movements that are going and they're great and they they have their place they're wonderful they're important and they're necessary where they have just continual worship and prayer it's important that's the incense of the lord okay but there's a, even a difference between that and deep intercession that i'm not seeing hardly any of anymore in the body of christ but deep intercession is where people get under the weight and the burden of the lord for a people group and they will begin to you'll hear the groaning and the travailing and the moaning and the the deep calling unto deep these intercessors and, and they'll be praying in the spirit 
And it's this, it's what Psalm 42, I believe, says, deep calling unto deep. It's actually from your spirit crying out to the deep of God, the spirit of God. And it is a very powerful uh, form of prayer. And that is the type of prayer that births revival. Okay? There's a difference. And I don't see a lot of that anymore. And it concerns me. Because growing up around Pentecost, that's part of our heritage that goes back to the Azusa Street Revival. It was said in Azusa, which I may mention this, but they could hear people to two, three, four o'clock in the morning. They'd walk by the place or people that live in somewhat proximity to it. They could hear the weeping and the wailing of the intercessors praying in the spirit coming out of that place. And that's the type of prayer that really brings revival. And what's sad is I'm not sure as I preach on that, that very many people that even hear this will even know what I'm talking about. That's what's sad. I was so fortunate. It was probably one of the most divine appointments in my life. Now, when I was young, I just got saved. I'd been saved about a year, and I was still struggling. God had to teach me a lot of things about dying to the flesh, renewing the mind, getting inner healed, getting delivered of stuff and all that. I wasn't walking in total victory or anything. But as I was young in the Lord, God put me next to these older women that were intercessors in the church. It was a small Pentecostal church, and they knew how to pray. And they, they would intercede in travail, and it, it had a tremendous impact on my life. And I believe that, truthfully, as they prayed with me and over me, I believe that impartation is what actually was released into my daughter's life and maybe into, you know, a few other people's lives it goes back to them. And, the, and you guys that are in here really travailing in the spirit, let me tell you, I, I, I see it. I'm telling you, you know, prophesying or whatever, I see there's a major move coming. And the Lord's going to keep opening up the skies where it feels more and more like there's, there's nothing overhead. It just feels so open and clean. See, when you come into an area, you've got to pray that open. It doesn't just happen. Some of these people that say things, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. You don't just, it doesn't just happen on its own. You've got to pray that thing open. And then... Um, the Lord's going to keep purging the atmosphere here, and we're going to go deeper and deeper into the glory. And that's what's happening right now. And I believe with all my heart that God, when the timing, when the fullness of time comes, that literally people are going to come far and wide to receive because what God's doing is so deep. And I also believe that what will be one of the earmarks of this move of God and River of Life will be the communion table. I believe that that's a place where people are going to experience tremendous healings. And see, nobody's going to get the glory but Jesus, which is the way I love it. At the communion table, there's going to be tremendous. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was creative miracles, tremendous healings, tremendous deliverances, and a deep consecration in people. So anyway, that's, that's kind of what we've been covering. And the Lord has been doing a pruning. He's been doing a deep, deep consecration in all of us. Those that are hungry to go deeper in God and live holy, the Lord's really been purging stuff. He's dealing with stuff. Um, and those that haven't wanted to go deeper, the Lord's had to, you know, move on. But we're going, God's got a group. He's got a remnant that's going to press into this thing. How many of you guys are hungry for more of God? Man, I'm going to tell you, hunger is the key. You know, I remember hearing all these stories. I could go through all of them, but since I'm preaching on revival, I make it quick. But Rodney Har Brown in Africa was desperate. He was so desperate, he was shouting in a service. I wish I'd been there to see it. He's yelling, 
God, you got to come. And he's just shouting. And all these other people are just sitting there in this really more of a quiet atmosphere. And here's this guy shouting and getting all out. But the power of God fell and hit him like a lightning bolt. And that's where his ministry was birthed, was his deep cry to God, the desperation in him crying out, deep calling unto deep, I've got to have you, Lord. I've got to have more. And, and, and John Kilpatrick, before Brownsville, would go up there and pray, and he'd be groaning and travailing and crying out, God, I've got to have you. I've got to have more of you. And the Lord spoke to him in those times. He said, if you'll seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. See, that's the key. You've got to seek the Lord with all your heart and be hungry and desperate to press into him. All right. When revival really begins to come, God will raise up apostolic preaching like Peter on the day of Pentecost. Apostolic preaching is powerful, authoritative, and will break through. It's preaching that breaks through. Not all preaching will break through. This type of preaching will break through where even the hardest of hearts, something cracks that, and, and they're... they're um, weeping at the altar getting right with God but it's an authoritative anointed powerful preaching the type of preaching that convicts people and the type of preaching that will break through the darkness in their life intercessors will be raised up and I believe in river of life they really already are will be raised up to continually pray to keep the heavens open and to keep the attacks of the devil at bay intercessors are very important there will be in revival deep conviction I mean to tell you, people will be so convicted, um, they'll, they'll want to get everything right with God. I mean, there's just a deep conviction. But I'll tell you what, it, it, the result of that is so beautiful because they fall so deeply in love with Jesus. You see what I'm saying? They're, they're weeping in the altar, Lord, whatever is in between me and you, I don't want it anymore. That's revival. Because they're let, the Lord is cleaning all that debris out so that they can be intimate with him and know him. There will be a great influx of souls. Because the Spirit of God begins to fall like in Hebrides and Wells, and people are brought into the kingdom. There will be a tremendous refreshing to God's people, people that have been weary, people that have been laboring, and they feel like they're dragging themselves across desert sand. Spiritually speaking, they will find themselves in an incredible oasis, and they will drink deeply and be very powerfully touched in revival. So we've got to have wisdom and have things in place. This is what's coming. I know it with every fiber of my being. I've, I've even experienced, I can't share it publicly, but I've experienced things just between me and the Lord lately that I know that I know that things are on the horizon, okay? And I'm trying to get myself in every possible way ready, and I know my family's ready, and, and other people are just really going after God. But let me encourage you to just let the Lord, Lord, whatever you need to do in me, I want to be right at ground zero when you show up in your fullness. I want to be able to be used of you however you want to use me. I want everything to be ready. Lord, just do a work in me. Prepare me for what's coming. That would be my advice for everybody to be praying that way. So when the Holy Spirit is coming in an awesome way, do not resist, quench, or grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's some things Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, you will do them also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. Now think about that. So Jesus said that not only would you do the works that I'm doing, but you would do greater works than these. And yet most of the church world isn't even doing those. So listen, let's raise the standard. That's a conversation I'm going to be having with some of my friends here in a little bit, but let's raise the standard. 
I, I'm not interested in normal Christianity as we know it. I'm interested in literally seeing Book of Acts Christianity. I really am interested in that, and I will have it because the Bible says it will press into him. We'll have whatever we ask. Amen? All right. But when revival comes, here's what you got to deal with. Y'all ready? When revival broke out in Wales, there were people that were powerfully touched there. But then that fire jumped from Wales and hit Azusa Street in California. And a powerful revival broke out in Azusa Street. But see, G. Campbell Morgan was powerfully touched in Wales. But the Welsh revival was a certain way. Now, when you went to Azusa Street, it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, tongues, fire. It was just different. And G. Campbell Morgan, who's a wonderful man of God, we love him, we bless him, I believe he's in heaven, but he was powerfully touched in Wales, so he was familiar with revival. But see, when it broke out in Azusa Street, and it was different, it looked different, it wasn't what he's used to, he literally called it the last vomit of Satan. We all know, we love G. Campbell Morgan, don't we? We love him, but we all know he missed God. And not only that, he turned people away from Azusa Street because he was a preacher. He was a man of influence. He turned people away from Azusa Street that could have went there and had their whole lives completely, totally changed and could have carried that anointing to the ends of the earth. No telling what could have happened, but he hindered people. So let me encourage you, just because revival looks different than what you're used to, it may be a little different. Don't throw it out. Seek God about these things. I'll get into that here in a minute. R.A. Torrey, wonderful man of God. He's written books. I've read one of his books on the Holy Spirit. Very good. I like the guy. But he missed God about Azusa Street. He pointed at Azusa Street and said that it was insanities worthy of a madhouse. So in other words, these people are crazy and deserve to be in an insane asylum. That's what he was saying. How can these men of God, who were men of the word, they wrote books, they were preachers, they were men of influence, how could they say that in their day? But I promise you, you're going to see it today. You're going to see people in these, in these days when we see revival, you're going to see the same thing happening. There's going to be preachers that preach entire sermons bashing revival. It's sad, isn't it? What holds people back? in the great moves of God in times past and in our day. Pride, fear, and rebellion holds them back from truly receiving what God has for them. It's too analytical. People get too in their mind trying to analyze and figure out every little thing. Do you really think that you are ever going to figure God out? Just when you think you do, and let me tell you about the Lord. Listen, we are intellectual and emotional people. When revival comes, God is not just going to touch our intellect through sermons and knowledge. He'll do that. But he's going to touch people emotionally because people need their broken hearts healed. Marriages need to be healed. Relationships, all kinds of healing needs to happen in people. And so we're emotional creatures, and God knows that, and God created us in his image, and God's going to touch people's emotions. And that is right there is one of the big stumbling blocks to religious people because they despise with all of their hearts emotion in church i'm just telling you they do if you don't believe me hang out with some of them they hate it they hate that anybody would laugh cry jump shout anything emotional whatsoever they'll oh that's just a bunch of emotional garbage well hello we're emotional people and god loves 
praise and worship from your heart. He loves that your emotions are toward him. So I'm going somewhere. So just follow me. In times past, when God has exploded in regions with great power and great authority, like he's about to do in Dallas, and he's about to do in other parts of the world, and he is doing in other parts of the world, there have been tremendous manifestations, and which is what I'm going to talk about primarily tonight. But in the great Cambridge revival, which was Presbyterian, look how far we've come. A great Presbyterian revival. Listen, they met out there in a field. Well, actually, I think they started in church, but they took communion. All it was was a communion service. And they're, they're thinking of Jesus' body and his blood as they take holy communion. The heavens open and the power of God explodes down there in Kentucky. And people started coming. And to this day in Pentecostal circles, you still people say, hear people say once a year, we're going to go have a camp meeting. You know where that goes? It goes all the way back to this, Cane Ridge Revival. But people, there were so many people that came because the power of God was so intense that our U.S. military had to have a presence there just to make sure that the crowds were okay. Tens of thousands of people. This was before PA systems. So there had to be multiple preachers spread out throughout the congregation in 10,000 people preaching. But the manifestations that happened, I'll, I'll read them here in a minute. In Finney's meetings, but anyway, I'm sorry, in Cane Ridge, it said that it looked like people, like somebody opened up a machine gun or something because all these people just fall in great mass out of nowhere. In Finney, Charles Finney's meetings, as he would preach the word of God, people would be under the conviction of the Holy Spirit weeping and groaning and would fall out of their chair. And they literally had ushers that were ready for the sole purpose of picking up these big, grown, tough men that were like farmers and ranchers that are in Finney's meeting sitting there all stoic and everything all of a sudden the power of God would hit them and they would just hunch over under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and fall on the ground and so they had to have ushers ready to go pick them up some of them in a fetal position and carry them down to the altar and drop them there where they could get saved that's how strong the power of God was in Azusa Street Revival, people heard, just like I said earlier, the groans and travailing of intercession and groaning well into the night. People were hit by the power of God. As the doors would open and people would just come into Azusa Street, there would be a pile of people because they all just fell at one time under the power of God. Even at the train station, which was you know blocks away, people would get off the train and be hit by the power of God and fall out right there at the train station. Let me tell you how strong the Lord moved in Hebrides and Wales. I'm going to give you a hypothetical story, but this would be common to what went on. Picture there's a man riding down the road on his horse, minding his own business. He gets down to take a drink of water and count his money or whatever, and he's standing there doing that. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God comes upon this man. He doesn't know what's going on. He's kind of shaking. He has a realization hit him out of nowhere that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and that he is on his way to hell. This came out of nowhere. He's just counting his money, getting a drink of water. Next thing he knows, he's on the ground weeping and asking God, how do I get saved? How do I get right with God? That is the type of thing I'm talking about when revival comes. People out of nowhere, just all the prayer and intercession, the Spirit of God is released, and he begins to draw in the masses to Christ. Both, both Wesley and Whitfield they, they had a group called the Holy Club, and they would meet together with a few men and pray. See, revival always, almost always starts with a small group of people. 
and they were praying and they took Holy Communion and they said it was like the heavens unzipped and the presence of God came in and revival started breaking out in their, in their little group. And pretty soon the Wesley brothers were out preaching on the streets. Whitfield was out preaching. And Wesley, they saw the manifestations of people that would be in their meeting and just scream out and fall under the power of God for no reason. And Edwards, as he preached, listen to this, he preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was a stoic man, and he stood there just looking at the piece of paper, just reading it like this, very um, uneventful. He's just simply reading, the Lord told me to say this tonight. I'm reading what it is. And the presence of God, the power of God was so strong, so convicting in that meeting that people were gripping uh, pews and pillars, hanging off for dear life, heavily breathing and weeping and wailing to the point that Edwards had to tell people, please quiet down so that they can hear what I'm saying. And they were afraid that they were going to fall into hell right there. This was revival breaking out. Wesley recognized people falling under the power as being of God, and Whitfield criticized him at first, but then it started happening in his meeting. So what's he going to say now? You know? And so then you realize, what well, must be God. It's happened in my meetings, you know. Anyway, Jonathan Edwards described this. I'm going to just kind of give you guys some stuff from Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards tonight. Isn't it interesting, even though the man's dead, that his voice is still heard today through his writings. Isn't that something? Anyway, he described the Holy Spirit's activity in the mid-1700s in the great first awakening that hit our nation right before our Revolutionary War. And he said it was like God suddenly opened people's eyes. He, he let the realization in their minds a sense of greatness of his grace and the fullness of Christ and his readiness to save. Their joyful surprise, it caused their hearts, as it were, to leap within them. They, they were ready to break forth in laughter. Tears also, like issuing like a flood, weeping uncontrollably, loud weeping. It's a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries people just shouting out out of nowhere people he said fainting people falling under the power of god convulsions people shaking under the power of god and such like both with distress and also with admiration and joy many remaining for 24 hours motionless now think about that we'd have to we'd have to have people in shifts you know i mean people are out here for 24 hours under the power of god and he said that they their senses they were just locked into like a trance is what he's trying to describe in the meantime, they're under a strong imagination. He's talking about their seeing visions as though they went to heaven and they spoke of these uh, glorious and delightful things that they saw and experienced. Isn't that something? The way he's describing it, they spoke so differently. I'm trying to help. The way he's describing it is that they were, they were this was the same guy that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. So at first, people were like, I'm about to die and go straight to hell tonight, okay? You know, they're like gripped with the fear of God. But then when they realize, wait a second, God's convicting me because he loves me and he wants to save me. Then it goes from the fear of God to this overwhelming sense of God's incredible love. And the spirit of God fell on these people and they had these radical encounters with God. Is this making sense? See, the problem is, is that people are trying to bypass the conviction part. That's how you produce false converts. And that's how you produce people that won't last. Because when times get tough, they'll bail. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. He's a lot smarter than some of the people out there is telling people you don't need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit's a lot smarter than us. Amen. He knows what we need. All right. 
And here's some more things. I'm moving through this. I'm going somewhere tonight, so just follow me. You see the pattern of, of what has happened in times past, how people have had these experiences with God in revival. But many times, God will start things with humble surroundings because of man's pride. Just like when Jesus came in a manger, and just like Azusa Street, many others, it all birthed in small places with small groups of people. And let me tell you something. I believe with all my heart that in many ways we're seeing the same type of thing. My wife and I have talked about it. See, God will come in a small way, in a small place, among a group of people that want him with all their heart and are going after him with all their heart. But see that those humble beginnings will weed out the people that don't need to be there. That would be a hindrance anyway. So once revival explodes, then the masses come. But God needs a smaller group of people that will seek him with all their heart, be willing to get whatever out of their life they need to get out. They're going to pray. They're going to fast. They're going to come together. And they're going to go after God. And then the Lord shows up. And then all the people start getting saved and the masses brought in. I would say that River of Life as a church has had a very powerful revival in-house. But I'm waiting for the day, and it's coming, when it's going to be on the streets. And let me tell you something. God will give you tokens. There, there's the earnest of the Lord. This is a principle in the word. God gives you tokens to show you what's coming. I could give a lot of examples, but let me just tell you what, what has happened. Like, for example, with some of the experiences that Melissa was telling me about when they were on the streets and the Spirit of God fell so hard on people that they were standing there and it was just this, this presence of God that was so intense, like when you were in Subway that time. And it, see, what's happening is, is the Lord has given us a token saying that's what's coming. Many times the Lord, before a, a church service or before he's about to do something new in River of Life, I would experience it first. It was a token. The Lord was saying, look, I'm showing you, I'm giving you a taste of what's about to come. See, the Lord gave us that saying through Melissa and them that were there, I'm about to do this. It's coming. This is what's coming. I'm just showing you. Also, I believe what happened to Pastor John Paul when he was here just in a prayer meeting and uh, pretty much he was worthless, man. I wanted to use the guy to pray, but he was there and he, was, uh, he started worshiping and we started praying and he told me afterward because he was gone. He was like in another world. I, I didn't realize what was going on at first because I was going to have him come pray and I was like tell my wife and she like taps him and everything tries to get his attention. He's just gone. And he told me later, he said, Pastor, I'm telling you, as soon as the worship ended and we all started praying, he said, it was like I was in this cloud of the glory and I was just oblivious to anything. And I can attest to the fact that that is true. And he said he was just in a heavenly place. Just like what you read about Jonathan Edwards talking about, people caught up with something heavenly. And they're just like in a trance. And I believe with all my heart that that was a token of what's coming. That people are just going to be caught up in the presence of God. And, and it's going to be like a heavenly experience for people. So the Lord has given us these tokens to show us what's coming. Overt acts of God produced by God to cause the flesh to stumble. This is what I want to get into. Most revivals at the beginning were rejected by people manifestations this is the stumbling block right here of all revivals this is the part of the revival historically that people have stumbled over 
Even on the day of Pentecost, when revival hit, the Holy Spirit exploded like that, and they're speaking in tongues. The very first reaction to that was some people were mocking it, saying these guys are drunk. You see what I'm saying? The first reaction to the move of the Holy Spirit was to mock it. Then, whenever Peter started preaching, conviction was released, and it says they were convicted, they were cut to the heart, and they said, brothers, what must we do? And so he, you know, led them to Christ. But my point is that this right here, the manifestation, so let me talk about manifestations. What a manifestation is, for those that aren't familiar with that word, is maybe somebody falling, crying, weeping, laughing, shaking, whatever is happening to them. But here's what a manifestation is. A manifestation is an outward, visible sign that you and I can see of an inward work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me read that again. A manifestation is an outward, visible thing that we can see of an inward work of the Holy Spirit that you cannot see. So here's some things to ask about manifestations, and I'm going to give you some. Does it glorify the Lord? Is it creating a hunger in people for God? Is it drawing people into a closer relationship with Jesus? Is it bringing true spiritual depth? Is there a change in someone's life which must be seen over time? These are things to be looking at in manifestations. But let me, let me give you an example. I'm going to go through the Apostle Paul and then read these manifestations. So let's all just picture Saul of Tarsus, okay? This was before he's Paul. Saul of Tarsus, in actual fact, was a, somewhat of an evil man. I mean, he was very religious, but Saul of Tarsus was, I mean, he was bent on the destruction of Christianity. And he had been so zealous about it, he had got official papers from the Sanhedrin that he was able to, to kill people, um, have them stoned, have them imprisoned, and persecute Christians. And so while he was doing this, he was even there while they stoned in the Bible, Stephen, and he died. They were there. Paul was there. So anyway, his name was Saul before he changed it to Paul. Saul is riding on his donkey down the road from Israel to Damascus, or rather from where he was at to Damascus. He's riding on the donkey, okay? He's got people with him, and Jesus appears to him. Now, I want you to follow me about this story. He's on his donkey. Jesus appears. Now, the people with him did not see Jesus. They had this overwhelming sense of fear, and so they took off running and left Paul. Paul was hit by the power of God, was thrown down on the ground, and was blinded. Now, you guys know this story. He's down on the ground, he's blind, but he can see Jesus because it's a spiritual thing. And Jesus speaks to him. And well, he says to Jesus, who are you? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Anyway, he, Jesus tells Paul or Saul at the time, get up and go, I believe to Straight Street. There's a man named Ananias that's gonna pray for you. Now, here's what I'm trying to get at with this. If that happened in church today, and it was 100% Jesus, just like it was with Paul, it would be rejected. And people would say it was a demon. See, you, you can't take out your camera and just take a snapshot of something and then hold up the picture and say, well, this was the devil. There's no doubt about it. You have to take out your video camera and you've got to video the rest of the story. 
Because see, if you just leave it right there on the road, see if somebody left out of here today and people are having to help them because they're blind now. They came, in, they came into church and Jesus struck them down because they've been religious <laughs> and now they're blind and they can't see and you've got to help them out. What is anybody going to say? This is in the Bible. What would any logical person say? They'd say that church is of the devil. That is totally demonic. There's no way that's God. That's the most evil thing I've ever heard of. And the whole thing is in the Bible that Jesus Christ did it himself. He did it. And it's recorded in the scriptures. So here's the rest of the story. So Saul gets up. He's blinded. And people help him to straight street to see Ananias. Ananias is hearing from Jesus. That Saul's coming and Ananias is thinking, Lord, no don't send this guy I don't want to see this guy he's been killing all these Christians but anyway Saul shows up by now I imagine that he's very humbled see what Jesus was saying to Saul was your religion has blinded you that's what the whole message of the blinding was so Ananias lays his hands on Saul and prays for him the power of the Holy Spirit comes on Saul and he begins, uh, the scales fall from his eyes and he's filled with the Spirit. So he's baptizing the Holy Spirit right there. Now the rest of the story is that Saul of Tarsus, who was this murderer and this evil man, was thrown on the ground, blinded, major manifestations here. The rest of the story is that he became a great champion for the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was really changed in that, wasn't it? He goes out and he goes into Arabia and begins to seek the Lord for many years and gets great revelation for the church. He ends up in Antioch where he's in prayer and worship. He's a man of prayer now, a man of the anointing. And the Holy Spirit sets aside him and Barnabas for an apostolic ministry. So they begin to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Saw a great harvest of souls. You read about his life in the book of Acts. So I would say that that manifestation of him being violently thrown to the ground, the people around him freaking out and running, him being blinded and having to be helped to somebody's house, where scales, now how creepy would this be? Scales fall from his eyes right there. He's filled with the Spirit, I'm sure speaking in tongues, baptizing the Holy Spirit. All of these manifestations, but yet, see, somebody would look at that if they just took their camera and took a snapshot of, hey, this guy went to church and is now blind. This, this is definitely of the devil. Stay away. <laughs> the last vomit of Satan, right? This is insanity's worthy of a madhouse. Keep away, keep away. And the whole time, it was Jesus Christ. So you can't just take out your camera and take a snapshot. No, you got to get your video camera and video the rest of the guy's story. Now, wait a second. Let's watch the video. We see him going into prayer, becoming a great man of prayer, then a great apostle, leading many to Christ, writing parts of the Bible. I would think, hey, this road to Damascus encounter with Jesus was the real deal. Something happened. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? But this is the, the stumbling block, the stumbling block that is on revival right here. Because the religious community, because of so much pride and arrogance, that they think they've got it figured out and all that. This is a major stumbling block to them. They, they hate revival because of this right here, the manifestations. Here's some different manifestations you see in the Bible. Number one, speaking in tongues, Acts chapter 2 and in other places. Falling under the power of God. 
And why do people fall? Because they can't stand. It's not like real complicated. It's, you know, uh, here's some scriptures. Ezekiel 128, 323, Daniel 10:9, Revelation 117. Don't you remember Daniel? Daniel just, it was just an angel. It might have been a Christophany, but it was an angel appeared to him. The glory was so strong. Daniel's just melting. And the angel had to pray for him to give him strength to be able to stand there. John fell as a dead man when he saw Jesus. John 18, 6, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said, I am he. And they all fell under the ground. These are Roman soldiers, man. You know, and they all just fell on the ground. Acts chapter 9 with the story of Saul. All right, deliverance. When Jesus comes to town, demons flee. You ready? You see, people say, I want revival. Okay, are you ready for the demons? To manifest and come out of people because that will happen there's times in church man I've seen this I've preached places there was a time that that a, a girl was writhing on the ground and I command this demon come out it came out with this high-pitched blood-curdling scream and I look around and it's like those old westerns when there's about to be a showdown and all of a sudden all the streets are gone everybody's you know what I'm saying everybody's gone and you, there's just a tumbleweed going across there you're by yourself I'm, by, I'm looking, where'd everybody go, you know? And I'm here by myself casting this demon out. I looked behind me, everybody was hiding. But anyway, are you ready for the demons to come out of people? Luke 4:33. they manifested in the synagogue when Jesus came. When Jesus comes to church, if there's demons, they will begin to cry out and leave. Also, jerking, shaking, or trembling. I've seen this so much. People shake under the power of God. Daniel 10, 7. Jeremiah 23 9 Habakkuk 3 16 Psalm 99 1 Psalm 114 7 okay the power of God is like electricity I mean when when the power of God's touching you some people are just going to shake trances people getting stuck in trances there's been people in different revival meetings that would just be going along and all of a sudden and they're like that for hours you know and it's like you look at that and you think what in the world is going on but they come out of it completely different people and it's in the Bible. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was sitting on a, the roof of a house and he's caught up in a trance and he sees a vision from the Lord that leads him to take the gospel to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house where a great number of people are filled with the Spirit and revival breaks out among the Gentiles. So we all know it's of God. But see, that was what people criticized Mariah Woodworth Eder and said she wasn't of God because of trances. Her, her meetings were so powerful. See, people don't realize that there would be somebody, this is true, there would be somebody a mile away plowing their field, okay? And they would just go into a trance. And they'd be there for hours. And they'd come out of the trance crying because they had some encounter with Jesus. And they were not at the meeting. You understand, these are just people that just were too close. See, revival's like a slippery creek bank. You get a little too close, you know. People just innocently walking by. What about shrieks? In Acts 8, 7, you know, the demons will shriek. I'll tell you, they'll, they'll leave. They'll, they'll manifest. Also, groaning and moaning and wailing. Acts 8, 26, the intercessors, as the Spirit of God is moving upon them in intercession to groan, moan, and wail. Also, intense weeping or laughing. Nehemiah 1, 4, Ezekiel 10, 1, Psalms 126, 5 through 6. Intense weeping and laughing. Okay, this is where the Lord many times is bringing healing to people or totally changing their life, the intense weeping and laughing. Also, deep bowing. See, people really bowing down before the Lord. Ezra 10.1, Psalm 35, 13 through 14. 
laughing. Psalm 126, 1 through 3, Proverbs 17, 22. You know, Proverbs 17, 22 says laughter is like medicine, doesn't it? All right, be still and solemn. Now, here's one, you know, somebody's just off in a corner by themselves just with the Lord, you know. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of like what I was talking about with Pastor John Paul. I mean, the guy was just, just still and solemn in another place with the Lord. And that's Psalm 25, 5, 27, 14, 131, 2. Drunk in the spirit. That's always fun to watch, isn't it? Acts 2.13 and Ephesians 5.18. People that are filled to overflowing and they have a hard time walking. I've had this happen to me. I've had a lot of these happen to me. I've had just walking along and I mean, you're so filled with the spirit, you just seem out of it, okay? We've had to carry people out, you know, because of that. Visions and dreams. Acts 10, 9 through 17, Joel 2, 28. The Bible's clear. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Remember, old men dream dreams. Young men have visions or whatever. It's dreams and visions. Here's another one. People confessing their sins and making things right with others. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Everybody get that. People confessing their sins and making things right with people that they've wronged. That is a manifestation. When revival comes, the Holy Spirit will so move on people that they will be confessing their sins to God and getting things right with God, and they'll go to other people and make things right if they've wronged them. And then the last manifestation to talk about is major healings and miracles. Matthew 12, 13. Where G everywhere Jesus went, demons fled, and major healings and miracles broke out. That is revival. When the Lord comes, people are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, and people are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Lives will never be the same. When Jesus comes, people's lives will never be the same. But see, in revival, sometimes things can get very intense, and there's got to be discernment to see what's of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. And some things you can ask yourself as revival's breaking out, displays of supernatural power, is are people um, getting close to God? Are they going into like a holy realm and in a reverential atmosphere of heaven? It will leave a lasting impression on people if they are. Also, these things happen to destroy every last remnant of human religiosity in the flesh. When manifestations are going on and, and God's moving in great power and revival, let me tell you that it will destroy all religion and all flesh that's there as long as people will submit to that. Because all that pride of saying, well, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to experience that. I, you know, it's all going to be gone because the person says, Jesus, just whatever you want to do. All that pride will be gone. All that religion, those pet doctrines where they say, well, this can't be God. This can't, there's no way that's God. I can't believe this. All of that will be gone. And all that flesh that was resisting and, and fighting against God will be crucified. That's what revival does. It breaks through the pet doctrines. Revival gets things back in God's order. We've got to be shaken out of our old order to get into God's order. And revival belongs to God, not man. You cannot conjure revival up. 
You cannot begin it and you can't control it. Once God shows up and starts moving in power, all you can do is cooperate with it or get out of the way. And whenever man has tried to control revival, God will quit moving and it will die. Restoration. Revival is getting back to Book of Acts Christianity. In other words, it's a restoration of true biblical Christianity. And you know, Finney, he viewed revival as just obeying God. You know, revival is not hard to figure out. If you plant a field with wheat, you're going to reap a harvest of wheat. And Finney, that's the way he saw revival. If we pray and believe for revival, you will see revival. Okay, he had faith. I love that about Finney. I mean, he really did have faith, didn't he? We've, we read about him. He prayed and he believed and he saw a move of God. And I'm going to tell you what revival really more than anything else in the Christian. I mean, the sinners coming in and getting saved and all that, but I'll tell you what revival more than anything else is. It will get rid of religion so that people fall in love with Jesus. Really, that, that is really the earmark of true revival. Seriously. The, all that religion, all the ritual, all the form, all the stuff that everybody else has been doing, all of a sudden all that's gone and people are just falling back in love with Jesus. They're getting back to that, that first love, if you will. If you can say that. All right, so pastoring revival. Here's where I wanted to end up. We've got to have great wisdom who's teaching and laying hands on people. And of course, I'm going to be a stickler for that. But here's some things too. You got to be aware, y'all please hear me, those that plan on being a part of what's coming, you better be aware of satanic attack in the spirit realm. There's, there's satanic attack that goes with revival, and revival's not for wimps and sissies. If you don't want to, to go to war, I just heard a preacher say, you don't want to deal with war, stay home, sissy. God will bring up somebody else that ain't afraid. You know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. I don't understand for the life of me the way some people are. I'm being serious. A witch will come to church and they all freak out. Man, are you kidding me? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's like, just in Jesus' name, I bind that stuff, you know, and just be a witness to him. Don't be afraid of the devil. People have no idea what I've had to weather praying and going after God for revival. My wife's probably, and maybe... You know, my parents, my dad, I've talked to him about this. But nobody, but I'm going to tell you, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm serious. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of the devil. And I'm not afraid of no witch or anybody else. And I hope you're not either. But listen, you got to be aware, though, that there is a, a spiritual warfare that's very real. Because once you really pray and go after God for real, and, you, and God gives you an open heaven, you got to understand that second heaven realm is where the prince of the powers of the heirs live. And that's the, the realm of princes and powers, demonic trafficking up there in that second heaven god lives in a third heaven this is the second the atmosphere that's why the bible paul says there's wickedness in the heavenlies there's thrones and dominions okay so god gives you an open heaven so now you, you god's done poked a hole through their floor and there's a big portal a ray of light shooting up through their kingdom and they're watching angels ascending and descending the power of god coming down and things happening and it ticks them off They want over regions, they want that whole region like a brass heaven where nothing's going on. It's oppressed. And whenever they see that God's done poked a hole for you 
and heaven is coming through that portal down and releasing in that region let me tell you it ticks them off and don't think they don't see it but greater is he that's in us and there's more for us than against us and if a prince or a power tries to come just remember God will send his angels to watch over you you got to also watch out for evil men oh my goodness this may be the worst of all evil people that try to infiltrate that are trouble rebellious that you know they run down preachers behind their back talk about them try to stir up problems try to turn people against each other they're disrespectful dishonoring of authority i think those are worse in a church than the demonic attack i really do because it's like the devil has a little puppet inside the church that he can run up his hand up in them and use them to be his own mouthpiece to stir up problems but how many knows i believe when we take holy communion like we do frequently and pray like we do the holy ghost will drive them out get rid of them but infiltration don't be surprised i was, was kind of joking around but for real don't be surprised if satan doesn't try to send people like witches and people into the meetings to try to disrupt it but see 99 percent of that is just an intimidation factor you see what i'm saying it's just an intimidation and if you're not going to be intimidated by it it's not going to work how many times i heard of the the, the witches trying to come out to rodney Howard brown's meetings you know and that's why he told people for after a while he's like nobody prays for nobody except me because of that reason they were trying to pray for people you got to be careful who's praying for people y'all hear me that it, it upsets me when i see these places where god is moving or whatnot and it's just a free-for-all about anybody praying for anybody it's not safe for god's people doing it that way it's just not it doesn't make for a safe place for god to move anyway and I remember at Brownsville, they'd sit back there with their little rattles. You know, they came from New Orleans. Here they are. They're going to curse the revival, curse the preacher, you know. And I remember seeing Pastor Kilpatrick take a voodoo doll they left for him. You remember that? And he took that voodoo doll and cut that thing in half, and they blasted that shofar, <laughs> you know. And revival went on. It's like a train. It's like a freight train. They try to come, and the train just runs right through their little camp and knocks them off to the side, and you just keep going after God. Don't be intimidated by them. But don't take it lightly because it, spiritual warfare sometimes can be very oppressive. That's why we need to be prayed up. All right, be aware of the dark arts and maintain strong prayer and unity. That's the key. Maintain strong prayer and unity. The way Satan has tried to move in this region, just so y'all are aware of it and you can be guarding against it, is to create dishonor and disrespect toward authority. And people no longer respect authority. And they, they may even have a contempt. And it's, it's demonic. They don't realize they're coming into agreement with the spirit of this region, but they are. And then they start saying things that's now trying to divide God's people. Bring division and rebel and bring disorder. And now if they're successful, it will really hinder the move of God because there's disorder and division and things are messed up in the church be aware of it so as revival comes we've got to keep a strong emphasis on prayer and unity 
If people come to you running down your brother and sister in Christ or running down a pastor or something, you need to, t you need to rebuke them and tell them that's not right. You need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you, and you need to go ask that person to forgive you. That's not right. You're being used of the devil, and you need to stop it. Another thing is we need to keep soul winning a priority. Revival needs to be about souls big time. That's got to be a major focus. Another thing is you need to have discipleship in place. We've worked on that. We've got everything pretty much ready. We're ready for that. And have some kind of a cleansing, deliverance, inner healing type ministry to help people, which we also have. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to close. Uh, John Arnott was talking about in the revival that took place in Toronto. He said that there were people. There was a woman that was a, a journalist or a, a psychologist. I can't remember. She wanted to do a documentary on the people that had really been touched by God. For example, I mean, fell down, shook, laughed for hours, things like that. She wanted to interview them and see what had happened in their life. And at first, you know, there was so much controversy going on with revival. He was thinking to himself, you know, is this lady just trying to cause more problems for me here, you know? But he felt like she was very sincere about it. And so he told her, I don't have a problem with it, just whatever you want to do. And he says she went through and interviewed, I don't remember how many hundreds of people. And she, she wrote it all down and, and came down to the common denominator that everybody across the board, all these people that maybe laughed their head off for an hour, cried for hours, but laid on the ground for hours, shook for hours, all this stuff, all these manifestations that happened. She interviewed them and she found that all of them had this common denominator at the end of the day when all that had happened they said, I'm more in love with Jesus than I ever was. I want to pray more than I ever did. I want to read the Bible more than I ever have. And I want to witness to people. And there's no way that that is the devil's fruit. That's what I'm trying to get at. If you just take a snapshot, somebody falls and they're shaking and going, you know, it looks all crazy. And you take your camera and take a picture of that. There's no way that's God. That's a bunch of emotional garbage. That's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe this. Get out of here. But if you get out your video camera and you follow their life and you see the change, you see, you can't focus on the outward manifestations. That's just their, their reaction to what God is actually doing. So this is neat. Let me give you this. This is straight from Jonathan Edwards to us today. He said, there are five ways to test genuine revival. And I'm going to close with this. The first thing is does, now this is Jonathan Edwards. I'm actually reading his writings. You ready? The first thing, does the revival exalt Jesus? Jesus should be the central figure. He should come first and be exalted. If you think about the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't exalt Jesus. They exalt uh, God the Father only. If you think about the Mormons, they don't exalt Jesus. They have other things that are essential to their religion and false teachings. The question is, are people loving Jesus more because of the revival? Sometimes it seems that people are preaching on everything but the basics in the American church, and people can get away from this on tangents. But anyway, the first thing, Jonathan Edwards, does it exalt Christ? Are people falling in love with Jesus? That's number one. Here's number two. If, is it a genuine revival? Number two. Does the revival attack the kingdom of darkness? The goal should be to drive out Satan and his influence, and people are turned away from their sin and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. When people are saved, 
and healed, this brings great glory to God. What is the fruit coming out of the revival? Does it put a big dent in the kingdom of darkness? Now, that's the second thing. Does it destroy the kingdom of darkness? The third thing, does it honor the word of God? Is the word exalted and honored in the meeting? Sometimes the spirit is moving so strongly, there can be a tendency to move away from scripture and get off, but don't put experience first. The devil tries very hard to keep us from reading the word of God. We really need to get depth in the word. Do you have a greater love for God's word? So that's the question. Some of that is, is I think, other people's writings, but the question was asked by Edwards there, does it honor the word of God? And then the fourth thing, because he had told the fight, the fourth thing, does it promote sound doctrine? It should have the basics of salvation. It should have the basic doctrine, such as the cross and the blood, and Jesus is the only way. Sometimes revivals can promote other things if you're not careful. So, so keep it sound biblically. And the fifth thing that um, Edwards asked is, does the revival involve an outpouring of love toward God and man? Amen. There should be people falling in love with the Lord and loving each other. We should get caught up in the love of God. We should really love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's one of the fruits of the, or, you know, manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. This is normal Christianity. So the basic questions Edwards was asking, and some of this was expounding on what he was saying, was does it exalt Jesus? Does it attack the kingdom of darkness? Does it honor the word of God? Does it promote sound doctrine? Does it cause people to fall in love with God and love people? What he's trying to get at is, is there should be good fruit coming out of this. You don't take a snapshot of somebody that's in a trance and it looks all weird and think, well, you know, no. You follow their life. Okay, well, what happened? After you had that encounter with Jesus, what has happened to you? And some of you can say, you know, when I came to River of Life, my life was this way. But since I came in contact with Jesus and the power of God, my life is now positively different. Why? Because of the power of God's word and the power of his spirit to change you. Now you're more in love with Jesus. Now your life is more holy now the things that you used to struggle with god's given you victory over these things amen we can all say that god's taken us from glory to glory it's fruit and that's really all i wanted to talk about tonight but sometimes some unusual things can happen now, i've seen it in in our meetings where seriously this has happened somebody is shaking like you wouldn't believe over here somebody's laughing their head off somebody's bawling their eyes out somebody's over here you know rolling across the floor somebody's thrown in the air and it looks so crazy but in actual fact when you talk to them later in their life there's fruit of how their life was so dead and dry and maybe they didn't even know the lord now they're in love with jesus now they want to come to church because they're hungry for god now they want to read the word now they want to pray now they want to witness it's the fruit of what God is doing in their life, okay? So just remember that as we go into revival, that manifestations are a major stumbling block to the religious. Don't let them be a stumbling block to you, which I don't think they will be to those that are here, but just keep in mind that it is a stumbling block to others, and you're going to have to be ready to answer that. And what you need to tell people if they have a major problem is like, look, don't judge by what you're seeing right now. You need to talk to that person later on and see what God's done for them and see how their life has changed. 
you know? And I will tell you, I believe, because you wonder sometimes, well, why does God do things the way he does? I'll tell you why. This is a central theme. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's why God uses certain people and does things a certain way because it actually goes against the proud. And a proud person will not receive it. It requires them to humble themselves to receive. Does that make sense? So the Lord puts all these manifestations and different things he does. Why? Because only the humble will receive. The proud will, oh, I'm better than this. I'm not going to be seen with this garbage and walk stomping out the door. I'm above this. But a humble person, a childlike humble person, will say, Lord, I just want everything you have for me. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what people think, you know. And Steve Hill said this, and just to honor him as a great man of God, you know, I know he's with Jesus now, living it up, you know, enjoying his time with the Lord. But um, he, led, he led over a million people to Christ, a great man of God. And what he always said was this. He said that somebody that's truly, desperately hungry for God is willing to look like a fool in the eyes of their peers to be embraced in the arms of God. That's a word for today, isn't it? Whew. All right, let's... Uh, just see what the Lord wants to do right now. Lord, we're hungry tonight. Whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit, come. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings, Brother Zach, and just put on some music for me. There's such a glory here tonight. Man, this is kind of what I feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me. A lot of people have never really experienced an intimacy with the Lord in this way.